we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar doing the retrospective thing one more time for another remake that will be coming out next week or in two weeks, I guess. Uh, we're holding off, but we have two movies to review yes. for this remake. Yes. Uh, we're going to be doing the original Hellboy from 2004, the Guillermo del Toro Hellboy, which fits a couple categories for us. Uh, one, it's Oscar-related, seeing as Guillermo del Toro just won every Oscar for Shape of Water last year. Mm -hmm. uh, Hellboy, like we said, is going to be out in two weeks, so we're going to review that. David Harbour. We can review this one now because there's a second one that we're going to be doing next week. Correct. Uh, hopefully it gets better. <laughs> yeah, it has a subtitle next week. Okay. So there's a golden army involved. Uh, Lord of the Rings is another big retrospective we did, The Fellowship yes. of the Ring. And bottom line is that Guillermo del Toro was all set up to do the Hobbit movies. So the golden army is like a, a Lord of the Rings movie. Oh, is it? Very much so. I see. I've never seen it before, so that'll be fun for me because I'm a huge <laughs> Hobbit fan, too. Uh, welcome to Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike Wan. That is co-host also Mike. Also Mike here. We're getting ready for David Harbour's remake. We love those trailers. Yes. We've reviewed those trailers, and Guillermo just won that Best Picture and that Best Director Oscar two years ago in our, you know, uh, what is the word for the voyage? Our maiden voyage. <laughs> our maiden voyage on an award season, and now we're coming back to Guillermo del Toro, and we still... Still don't love him, Mike. Yeah, look, <laughs> I, I got things to say about my man GDT here that I'm not really thrilled with, but uh, we're going to go through this movie. He was on the verge, at least, of, of winning an award for Pan's Labyrinth at the Oscars. Getting nominated. Yeah, yeah. you're right. He didn't even win that one. That was that was so. the lives of others. You're right. We're not an Oscar spot or anything. I don't have to look that up. One of us <laughs> will recall the correct answer at so, times. So Usually it's you. This was kind of his second break from strict horror too. He had just done Blade Two. I like Blade Two. Do you like Blade? 2? I like the Blade series. I even like Blade Three when it came out, even though it was a, a bit that's, of a mess. That's, that's wrong. And yeah. Correct. Again, I said one of us will be no. But did you like you like the Blade? Series. I did. Yeah, I did. I like Blade Two a lot. I thought Blade Two was pretty kick ass. Now, what, Blade Two, Blade Three was the Ryan Reynolds one where he was since kind of trashed Wesley Snipes. Over. This is as much as Blade Three has been talked about in years by anyone. Right. I, I, that's what I. That is the movie I fell in love with Jessica Biel and Ryan Reynolds. But they had to carry so much of the load uh, because Wesley Snipes just was not there. What was Blade 2? Who was the bad guy? Can you refresh my memory It, it here? was the vampires with the giant tongue, chameleon tongues. Oh, yeah, and they their like, faces yeah. would like fall in half yes. every time yes. they wanted to kill somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was, I did like that movie. Yeah, that was scary. scary. That did happen. So, let's see, I'm not all anti-Guillermo here. No, I love Pan's Labyrinth. I love Blade 2. And there are positives with the Hellboy 1 movie yes. that we're going to discuss predominantly in the non-spoiler session section or session and then we are going to just come down <laughs> like the fire of uh actually we're going to smite him yeah from on high from on high exactly. section. because we're fans of puns uh, if you've not joined us before for a movie review or a retrospective such as this what you we have is two reviews for the price of one pretty much like our oscar sprint profiles if you've joined us for any of those but if you haven't the first half of every movie review it's going to be a non-spoiler variety so if you haven't seen hellboy 2004 uh don't worry we're not going to spoil it yet you'll a fairly long song they warn you when the spoilers are forthcoming uh the first half of every movie review is going to give you the production values, the specs, the cast and crew, etc, etc. The second half is, of every movie review is where we're going to the spoiler section, so don't worry, like I said, you'll get a spoiler warning coming, but for now, it's all non-spoiler stuff to begin Hellboy 2004 Movie Retrospective, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar, and also Mike is going to start with the cast and crew of this one. So Guillermo del Toro's filmography includes this, the Hellboy was written and directed by him, it includes Crimson Peak, 
Pacific Rim, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, the Oscar-nominated Pan's Labyrinth, Blade 2, The Devil's Backbone, Mimic, and Kronos, of course, uh, The Shape of Water, won last year or two years ago, 2017. So, not the most illustrious filmography. It's very unique, and the yes. visual style of each of those films is so unique and so pronounced. They're love letters to, like, old universal right. creature features, which he, is he, what he's known for. He is a, a, the king of the nerds. He's one of the nerd kings yeah. that we hail and, and worship, and I, as a fantasy nerd, sci-fi nerd, har- and you as a horror yeah. nerd, pay him homage, because he does a nice job with that. And I think we obviously aren't alone in that because there was this groundswell of support and this, you know, this feeling of like, it's his time. It's time for Guillermo to finally win and finally break through right. when he did have The Shape of Water two years ago. So he does do a lot of fan service type films that do certainly have a following. Uh, it's just a little surprising that if you go back and actually like look at the grades for what he's done, they wouldn't necessarily translate into somebody that we all think is quote unquote due for an Oscar win in the way he was. He he surprised everybody yeah. by, by really breaking into Oscar... Uh, you know, the, the director picture, right? And just you know, across the board, nominated. They had the most nominations that year. Just for him to win those two big awards was shocking. Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned uh, Mimic, but he also directed Mimic in that list. He does like he produces a lot of things and he writes a lot of things as well. Scary stories to tell in the dark has some scary posters and some scary stills. I'm excited wrote. for that. Absolutely, without question. I think that's kind of a sweet spot too. It's cool. He's a genre filmmaker, yeah. and he doesn't try and and move from that. But this is like a genre epic in many ways, and I, you know, I really appreciate the ambition. I think we all do when when looking at a GDT property. So let's go through the cast real quick. Uh, Ron Perlman is Hellboy. He's best known, Mike, from the 1980s, early 90s, Beauty and the Beast TV series. This is preposterous that this was an actual <laughs> thing. And you said that actually, who wrote on it? George R.R. R. Martin wrote on a Beauty and the Beast TV series Take in the that, 80s. Take that, all you Game of Thrones lovers. Before <laughs> like, he broke off and started really writing Game of Thrones. So let me, uh, hold on. Excuse me. Uh, I'm sorry. Excuse yes. me. Yes. He may have been writing some of Bran's storyline <laughs> before he actually left the show at Beauty and the you Beast. You glad you got that, that out of your like, system? Yes, yeah. thank right. you. I needed to correct the record. Uh, I would like to just comment on Beauty and the Beast, the, <laughs> the TV series that ran from 1987 to 1990. The Beast's name was Vincent. That was Ron Perlman's character. Uh, the the lead Belle-type character, I guess, was played by Linda Hamilton of Terminator fame. Her name was Assistant District Attorney Catherine Chandler. <laughs> so, Mike, neither of us know anything about this. <laughs> no, no. Do you think that this was a courtroom drama and the Beast was just like, I object. (laughs) It's Phil Hartman's old... uh, uh, um, Caveman lawyer. Yeah, caveman lawyer. I'm just a simple caveman lawyer. (laughs) There she goes, that girl is strange but special. Assistant District Attorney Catherine Chandler. That's so stupid. Oh, God. Anyway, Rod Perlman, <laughs> he was in Drive, the Ryan Gosling great jacket movie. Yes, a uh, step up in his yeah, filmography. Blade Two. he's in a lot of GDT movies, Hand of God, Sons of Anarchy. Uh, he's done a lot of TV recently as well. So from Alien, The Elephant Man, 1984, we have John Hurt playing uh, Trevor Broom. And he's listed as, Broom is his nickname. He introduces himself in the movie as Trevor Broom. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was wondering that myself. And his IMDb character name is Trevor Broom Bruttenhold. I wonder if that's a if that comes from the comic originally, or if that's because he was not referred to as Bruttenholm at all. Name's Professor Bloom. Yeah. I don't know. Cruel Intention Selma Blair plays Liz Sherman, and I refuse, Michael, to list her as being from anywhere else. Yeah, she's she's awesome, and she's really just has... She had an interview recently with Robin Roberts about fighting one of those uh, chronic diseases that, like, takes away your ability to speak and all that, and she's just killed. Like, she's awesome. She's so brave and courageous. Yeah, she's awesome. She's a good person. Yes. I will be... uh, That's a hard... uh, Damn it. (laughs) I don't like her acting, <laughs> so I'm going to come down on her acting later. Fair enough. Now, I'm just going to be fair. i got to be a critic. i got to call it like I see him. She's a wonderful person, a very mediocre actress. I'm sorry. But she's good and memorable and cruel intentions and this movie. Yes. That's my being a pompous ass. <laughs> the Man in the High Castle, another terrible show. Rupert Evans plays John Myers, and I'm going to get on Ru- John Myers, Rupert Evans later, too. It's awful. Doug Jones, finally a positive thing to say. Yes. Doug Jones from Pan's Labyrinth, The Shape of Water. He plays Abe Sapien in this and does an incredible job in a fish mask that doesn't move. That's one of the highlights is how David Hyde Pierce is the voice for Abe. Doug Jones plays the character of Abe and how they made it look so seamless, matching up the lips and the voice and all that. It did look like one coherent body. And the mannerisms he's got going on. It's pretty incredible. Anyway, Jeffrey Tambor, what the F is he doing in this movie he's I was from, waiting for him to whisper hail hydra he's from arrested <laughs> development transparent he is tom manning here fbi like chief whatever pr officer hellboy also stars brian Steele as the kung fu nazi no that's wrong uh, ladislav baran is the kung fu nazi brian Steele is somebody else <laughs> biddy hodson Corey johnson kevin trainer brian caspi james babson and stephen fisher also star mike i really don't have any uh Story Inception and production notes. I could not... There's nothing listed in the Hellboy Wikipedia. I looked for articles online, really couldn't find anything. All I could find was that the creator of, uh, of the comics, Mike Mignola, he was very happy with the movies. Well, that's so, good. All so right, good so you get sign. a seal of approval there from the origin and the source material creator. That's always a good good thing, unless you're Stanley Kubrick doing a Steven Spielberg or a Stephen uh, King adaptation. <laughs> he doesn't give a shit, Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> he staged the moon landing. He doesn't give a shit about Stephen King and saying yes, come on. Going to win Best Director this year, too, for Apollo 11. Hellboy, some specs, written and directed by Guillermo del Toro, with Peter Briggs getting a story by credit as well. It was del Toro's second horror action feature in a row, as he was just off Blade 2, like I told you before, which was two years prior in 2002. But prior to Blade 2, del Toro had done three feature-length films. All were horror and pretty much hard horror-based. This movie had its debut March 30th, 2004, at the Man Village Theater and went wide in the U.S. a couple days later on April 2nd. There's a 122 minute godforsaken runtime on this PG-13. <laughs> like, this is a stereotypical 55-minute movie. This is so long. Yeah. It just keeps going and going and going, and I like some of the set pieces, but there's just so much I extra nonsense. absolutely agree. They could have done this in an hour easy and mm-hmm. replaced one of those Beauty and the Beast episodes. Lawrence Gordon, Mike <laughs> Richardson, and Lloyd Levin all get producer credits. Marco Beltrami did the music, and if that name sounds familiar to MMO listeners, it's because he also was the one credited with doing the music for last year's A Quiet Place. Uh, Guillermo Navarro did cool. the cinematography, as he had already done for Robert Rodriguez and Spy Kids, Guillermo del Toro and The Devil's Backbone, and Quentin Tarantino and Jackie Brown already before 2004. So he was getting his reps in with some big Hollywood names there. Definitely. Peter Amundsen did the editing and also did so with Guillermo del Toro back in Blade 2 as well. 
Uh, film had a relatively hefty $66 million budget at that time. And we're talking, again, this is like during the comic movie renaissance. Mm-hmm. So Spider-Man had already started. I think we were already past Spider-Man 2 at that point. Right. We had the X-Men series, which was already underway. So studios were looking for different comic book production and adaptations to pour money into. They certainly got this one here. I actually didn't write down the distribution or the production company, but this is Revolution Studios, Lawrence Gordon Productions, and Dark Horse Entertainment with Columbia doing the distribution rights. So those that's where the funding came from for this to try to get their own kind of foot in the door and get their piece of the comic book audience pie didn't really work out for them 66 million dollar budget it didn't make money despite debuting at number one at the box office its opening weekend the 23 million dollar plus it made its opening weekend at the box office would actually go on to substantiate nearly 40 percent of its total domestic box office gross it only made 59.6 million domestically against a 66 million dollar budget so not well 39.7 million internationally which was good for a 99.3 worldwide box office number again would not even double what the production budget was on the worldwide take that can't be good but nonetheless this got not only a sequel but is getting into a full-fledged reboot so who knows it's strange because 2004 is hellboy and 2008 with really very little hesitation is hellboy 2 and this movie loses money I mean, it's not like they had time, really, to make a ton of money on home video, DVD, right. Blu-ray, whatever. That's a good point. Whatever people were watching back then. Um, <laughs> Way back in those <laughs> our ancient years. And I can't justify the fact that they wanted to make a sequel, other than the fact that they just wanted to be in business with Guillermo del Toro, maybe? Which probably <laughs> could also account for why it had such high cinema and audience scores as well. Had a respectable 6.9 IMDb rating, nice, on 283. 3,000 audience grades there, an 81% certified fresh Rotten Tomato rating on 200 critic reviews, 162 of those being positive, with the average critical score of a 6.76 out of 10. The middle of the road, higher above average, uh, 65% audience score as well, and get this, 458,000 plus reviews. That struck me as a little odd that that many people would weigh in on this for the audience score. I think the fan base is pretty, uh, you know, like enthusiastic. Ardent? Yeah. <laughs> which makes me very afraid because we're up and down on this movie. I will fight them all. I don't care. <laughs> Average audience score we is a 3.2 3. out of 5. And a respectable, again, 72 like, Metascore. Let's fight the audience of, like, Mary Poppins Returns. <laughs> let's not fight the audience of Hellboy. No, man. You're going down. You go down yeah. swinging. <laughs> That's a bad idea. It did win a couple awards in 2004. It won that year's Saturn and the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards for Best Makeup. And the Imogen Foundation Awards, which is a, a foundation that celebrates Latinos in filmmaking. Uh, Guillermo del Toro did win Best Director in 2004 for this film. So there we are. Those are the specs of Hellboy. Mike, uh, let's talk about a plot preview or synopsis and what our expectations were. A demon raised from infancy after being conjured by and rescued from the Nazis. Hollywood keeps making the same movie. (laughs) Grows up to become a defender against the forces of darkness. That's pretty encapsulating. That's about what this movie was. Yeah, it's a little Looney Tunes right right there at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, it's a comic book thing, you know? But, I, mean, uh, I mean, I expected this to be much goofier than it was. I, the, the tone of this film is a little more serious than I expected, especially from the antagonists. I think they could have played a lot more than they did. Like, there's one little you know line at the beginning, well, he was this and that, and all these bad things happened to this villain to make him so villainous. 
and that made me laugh. And then there was like no humor with the villain. <laughs> the rest of the movie. Yeah, I I was expecting a much better movie. Well, <laughs> I mean that's I tough mean, to it, say. The, but... Look at the previews of the David Harbor film. You got like the you know who the bad guy is. You yeah. know where the conflict is but about. But Mila Jovovich is cracking wise with Hellboy. Yeah, that entire trailer. So it seems like it's going to be a little lighter, is what you're saying. And this exactly. was overly serious. She's like Hella, yeah. fr- Hella from Thor Ragnarok. Sure. almost. Yeah, that's probably so, fair. So that seems like a different just tonal change. Yeah, uh, I, I I don't know, man. I like I, there isn't even really an antagonist you can either root for or against until like. You don't know who the big bad is, really. Because who you think, you know, it's like a whole boo at the end. It's definitely a boo. <laughs> I concur. I concur. I think... Uh, I'm a critic. <laughs> I think Guillermo del Toro makes a polished film, though. So I, yeah, I was surprised by that. You know, coming my my expectations weren't going, to, going into this movie that he was going to make a movie where I'd say, all right, this guy's going to be nominated for a lot of Oscars someday for all of his production values on, on a film that he helms. Well, for his, for the site especially, the, the set design, yeah. So, uh, without question. Yeah, let's jump jump yeah. right in. So, I mean, production, uh, sight to sound, production design is my number one. Yeah, I think it looks, the sets, looks awesome. Sets are awesome. He knows how to light it. He knows how to fit in the CGI for the most part. And uh, he, he follows an aesthetic. Nothing really seems out of place. It actually kind of reminded me, you saw some shape of water starting with the mm-hmm. Hellboy lair there. You saw a little, like, Tim Burton Batman influence with the cityscape a little bit. Sure. So, yeah, he was borrowing, and he was setting the stage for what he would become, and it was a very consistent aesthetic throughout the film. I love the tombs. I love the uh, the visuals, like all the, the lairs and the hangouts. Yeah. I mean, the bad guy house and the good guy house. The level of detail and all those props... I feel like Guillermo del Toro was just buying all those things with his own money, <laughs> right? Because just all these you may little, have them laying around the house, little yeah. knickknacks, and apparently his home—it's a museum. It's a museum yeah. like of horror artifacts yeah. from cinematic history, and it's like something that everybody would just dream of just walking into and t- taking a tour of just the once. I mean, I've seen some interviews, and I, he didn't do it like a cribs really, but he did like a. That would be amazing, right? That's I am Guillermo del Toro. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> That would be so great. That needs to happen. Uh, but uh, the production design, all the sets in this movie, even like the uh, let's go to a cemetery, it's beautiful. Yeah. Like the snow falling on that cemetery. Agree. It, it's very, uh, the gothic is what I'm, I'm, the word that I was searching for. Yeah. Before. And com- it, it looks like a comic book in certain ways sure. as well. Yeah. I, I would agree. It, and it does, you know, it, the of the things you can complain about with this film, that would certainly, the look of it would certainly be last. And that applies not only to the production design, but also the costumes and the makeup was astounding. Cost- the Hellboy's makeup is great. Yeah. It really is, and that it looks seamless, and I have no issues with it. Same here. The only thing I have an issue with maybe is the uh, ape sapien. Like it, it just doesn't move enough. His head, like when he's CGI through the water, it, it, he's got so much more expression than when he's just fish man. That's the biggest gripe if you talk about the graphics overall that I have personally is that. There is so much practical effect done with, like, the monsters that you encounter, whether Mm -hmm. they're good or bad, and in the fighting and whatever. There's so much practical effects, and they look so good that when you have to, like, revert back and things are going awfully quick and he relies on computer graphics, 
It just looks so, so out of that. place. Yeah, very noticeable. I didn't notice it until the end of the movie. Yeah, the, the quote and unquote it's painfully obvious at big, the end of the movie. Yeah, the big bad yeah. kind of reveals himself at that point. So, yeah, I didn't notice it until the end, but I, I, I definitely thought that this movie delivered a lot of visual goods. Cinemat- Agreed. Cinematography is great, like you said, the two designed categories, costume and production design. But to get into the sound. Sound effects are good. Some are funny. They're comic booky. The score sounds exactly like Lord of the Rings at one point. You could be playing this score for me right now, and I wouldn't know. <laughs> I actually had to re-listen to it. Yeah. Too, okay. Good. Like the one that like that sounds like Lord of the Rings. Okay. I totally botched it, but the last <laughs> few notes change from Lord of the Rings. So it's not. So it's not Lord <laughs> yeah. of the Rings. All right. I think he. Definitely... I, I sincerely, I make it a point to like listen, especially if a score strikes me, I'll be, I'll definitely take note of it. This one. I would left no impact whatsoever. On yeah, I, we're both kind of score deaf yeah. after this one. Performances, Mike. The two best performances come from by far the most heavily costumed characters in this movie. We have Doug Jones, we have Ron Perlman, and then we have Baran as the Nazi ninja. And <laughs> they're great. Like they have so much characterization in just how they move. Like that Nazi ninja, he's getting so much across. We're learning so much about his character Without just in the little ticks and yeah. whatever, how he moves. His face is covered with a giant black whatever shroud. <laughs> Helmet. Which apparently that's how he goes everywhere hiking up a mountain with too with that helmet on underneath a ski mask protecting his face which was ridiculous but anyway yeah uh i I thought the performances were fine especially for a comic book movie especially on the heels of like seeing some of the ridiculousness we were up against at this point in cinema x-men especially like the the guy that portrayed Sabretooth was just recently revealed on x2 and stuff like that it's it's not even comparable that this is such so much better i agree and the rest of the ensemble is okay Selma Blair, Rupert Evans, I'm not as high on them. Like, John Hurt is, is, is better. You know, and, and Jeffrey Tambor, for doing what he's trying to do, he's trying to play, like, the you know, the boss at Lethal I mean, he's Weapon. Play, yeah, he's playing you know, everything he has ever the, played. Over the top. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I get it. And then we have the villain's fine. He's just a one note, like, a very one note. Obviously, the, 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 him and his henchmen, minus the Nazi ninja, who's got all the personality yeah. in the world. Yeah. Hey, what the hell are you doing? Just make that guy the main bad guy. Please. I don't know. I thought they were going to. I thought that's... Wh- well, I guess we're getting the spoilers, so I'll save it. Go right. Ahead. Yeah, I mean, the cast is fine, but I just think in terms of the assembling the the roles for these cast members, the roles in the story for these characters, they just totally reversed all of the correct answers, all of the correct <laughs> ways to make th- this cast work and function. And I think they did a terrible job. I think that's it is absolutely it is an absolutely textbook example of what not to do in terms of telling a story. And I'm going to get into all that in uh, in spoilers. Yeah. The biggest issues I have are not with performances, but is with script. Yes. And that's kind of, if we want to talk about script thoughts quick, it's that's kind of my summation of it, which is going to be more thoroughly explained in spoilers. And, and we don't expect, like, the greatest story in the in the history of comic no, books. No, but cinema, a cinema. story would be nice. Any story. Yeah. yeah I, no, look, I mean, it, it, there's some of these scenes that really get me going. Like, I really enjoy the stuff, like the some of the action set pieces. I really enjoy them. I do. And I like the moments where Hellboy is just cracking wise. Like, that should be the whole movie. The first time you saw this, were you in New York City still? Do you remember? Nah, yes. Okay. The, did you take a subway at any point after? 
Sure. Okay. Did you see a woman with a box of cats at any point on the subway? After? No, save my cats! <laughs> like the movie just came oh, out yeah. and punched okay. me in the nose. Yeah, no, this is the very on the nose. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, just to talk about the production design, could it be the only thing I would say Oscar lends for? Yes. The Aviator 1, Finding ne- Leverland, uh, Lemony Snicket's A Series of, of Unfortunate Events. Uh, Snicket's is fine. Finding Neverland wasn't good. <laughs> wasn't good. Finding Neverland's okay. I, 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 I differ with you All on right. that one a little bit. Uh, the Phantom of the Opera and a very long yeah. engagement. So you had two. That's actually a decent films. year. For, yeah, for production values, right. production design especially. That's a decent year. And you also had oh, you had five. I can count. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, let's dance, please. All right, let's dance. Spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. Spoilers. This is the spoiler section for Guillermo del Toro's 2000, I think I just hit puberty there, 2004 movie. Oh boy. Uh, If you have not seen the movie yet, if you don't want to know the twists and turns, you don't want to hear what happens, this is a good place for you to pause, go watch the movie. It'll take you like seven to ten days. Come back, hit play, and then we'll uh, we'll be here when you get back and we'll talk about it. But if you don't care about that, if you've seen the movie already, or if we just hyped it up so much for you in the non-spoiler section that you cannot possibly wait another minute to hear what happens in this film, this is where you want to be. It's all spoilers all the time. From here on out, the Mike, Mike, and Oscar retrospective of Guillermo del Toro's 2004 film, Hellboy. Uh, Michael, we usually start with carryovers here. I don't know what you want to start with because we both have a lot of hate in our heart for certain aspects of this film. Okay, yeah, I don't know how to, like, whose face is redder right now. Can we, <laughs> I can't see my face. Well, we both, we both agree on some things being woefully out of place. And I think to start, a good place to start is centered around the Myers character, right? The John Myers character, played by Rupert Evans, is a white 20-something-year-old male who apparently is top of his class. That is the level of depth of thought that that person went into playing Chosen from 70 (laughs) candidates. Mike, why is he a necessary character in this movie? Did the studio plant him? Like, we need a surrogate for the audience. We need a character who's white and who is the top of his class, Michael. If he's not in the tip top of his class and white (laughs) and pretty, then we don't have a movie. Because you have the most charismatic hero in a while. Yeah. An awesome comic book hero, too. I will ask you, Mike, does Robert Downey Jr., is he the protagonist in the Iron Man films? Is Tony Stark the protagonist or is Happy right. the protagonist? Is Indiana <laughs> Jones is Indiana Jones the protagonist of the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah. Or is the protagonist of the Raiders of the Lost Ark one of his cronies from the museum? Indiana Jones Sr., yeah. What the hell are they doing here? Yeah. Clarice Starling, if that's who they're trying to follow, Clarice Starling is every bit as captivating and interesting in Silence of the Lambs as Hannibal Lecter. And to prove that, to prove that to not only ourselves but within the movie Hannibal is as, is as captivated by her as he is in anybody else in the world yeah and part of that at least is that like she has her own not to, not that 
this movie <laughs> should ever be apples to apples compared to Silence of the Lambs. But part of what made like something like a Clarice Starling, if that's what this movie was going for, is that she had her own moments of characterization to like stick out and right. at least form what her like genesis of conscience is and how she lives her life. This guy is literally just a literary device to move the plot along. So there, there are all these forced in devices in yeah. this movie and it oh, drives so us forced. crazy and it's telegraphed and you're going to talk about it in terms of the plot yeah. structure. And I'm going to talk about it in terms of the character, in terms of this cast, I guess, because basically you should have a mentor character in the father. That's the easiest writing job ever, right? Yeah. You don't. No. He does not do the typical mentor, you know, role throughout the movie, really. He is not in that role. You have the character of the mentors being usurped once the story gets going by, and you have a mentor hero by the, the John Evans or whatever the fuck his name was, John Myers' character. There's really only one interaction with the father, the Professor Broom character between Hellboy and Professor Broom up until the point that, this is the spoiler section, so I'm going to give it away, up until the point that Professor Broom is killed, right? right? There's only the one interaction at the very beginning when we're meeting a grown-up Hellboy for the first time where he's like, hi, father, and he hides his cigar, and that's it. And that's great because he's respect, right. respectful of his father. I want to know more about but that relationship. That's, yeah, that's the amount of insight to the relationship we get. What man can control right. to the point I where absolutely agree. he, he, he do, has the allegiance of a spawn yep. from hell with human <laughs> traits. And has convinced the government to like that this is okay and man's last hope. <laughs> like we need to preserve him. We can't uh, question him or put restraints on him of any kind. Mike. Yeah. Who do you want to hang out with this in this movie? You want to hang out with Hellboy. I want Beast and from Abe Beauty Sapien. and the Beast, yeah. Right, I want to hang out with two people in yeah. this movie. No, you're right. This should be a buddy comedy about Abe Sapien and Hellboy. And they tow that line so often, too, especially when they have the scenes where the two of them are figuring out the crime scenes in the museum and figuring out what happened. Like, they, they get to that point, and that movie's right at the cusp. And this is where my complaints with GDT come in. He's just... So many of his films have the potential to be what would make them great. Right. And he goes in other directions that just are so, and this is my argument with the plot, so paint by numbers. And yeah. I'm sorry, but kind of lazy. I think that he fixes he, he, he fixes a lot of the, the cast problems with The Shape of Water in a way. Because, I mean, yes, Richard Jenkins' character is, he's a best friend character, a mentor character, an ally character, yeah. right? And he's where he's supposed to be. And you have the protagonist is very charismatic. And that's good. And then you have the fish man. And he's got a lot of personality Shape too. Of His water face actually moves. But my issue is again with the plot with that more so than the characterization. But I get your point. Keep going. I didn't mean to cut you off. So the characterization works. And and yes, I you cut me off when I said his face also moves, which helps for the <laughs> yes, age it does. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. But bottom line is, Mike, you have to make your protagonist of the film the character with the steepest arc, with the most interesting and willful dimensions. Uh, I don't know if you can say willful dimensions, but I'm just saying he has, has, has the most dimensions, the most willfulness, the most interesting character. He should be the most. And Hellboy is clearly the most everything in this movie. At the end of the goddamn movie, we have John Myers with the critical decision to escape from his restraints and to convince Hellboy, convince him with a big speech, remember who you are, remember. I wanted to and crawl he saves the movie. Out of my fucking 
breaking skin. And then, part. yeah, I'll take my horns back off. Yeah. WTF, that made me so mad. This movie is, is a slam dunk. Put it in Hellboy's POV yeah. from scene goddamn one to the last scene of the movie. You idiots! And this is where the laziness of Myers coming in, and he's so convenient to the plot, and why the plot is so... It's like, Del Toro was storyboarding this, and he's like, okay, we need our hero to be more personalized, so let's write in this lazy jealousy storyline that comes from out of nowhere. That pisses me off so much. Number one, she is just a cuddle bug pretty face. Yeah. She has no personality, and they, they try well, to shoot one she in. At least, right, she at least, like, can play distance. Like, yeah, what fine. she was. They gave her one scene where she's got this crazy, inventive yeah. sto origin story. That we and know then nothing we don't, about. Yeah, we don't. And then all she does is play blank face the whole movie. Right. And we don't get to know her at all. Why would a spawn from hell with human traits <laughs> love her? Why? I want to know that. And just the fact that he does. I mean, the, the fact that he they don't write this in means that what they don't understand women at all. They just they they're not they're too afraid. He's too afraid to write a woman with actual tr characteristics well, in this movie. Well, if we if we remember how he was reacted when Natalie Portman called him out of the Golden Globes last year, when Natalie Portman said five male directors, yes, no, he doesn't know how to. He how doesn't to deal with women. know what to do. It's just ridiculous. That character is a nothing character. Yeah. And all she does is becomes a damsel in Ex distress except, at the end. Except she's all powerful and totally cancels the need for Myers at all when Hellboy is fighting off the 75 spawns. Everything in this movie should cancel the need for Myers. <laughs> and the fact that Myers play he's so creepy that he becomes like the love triangle, the third angle that's, of the But that's not even triangle? him being creepy. That's just lazy writing. There was no motivate. There's no inciting incident. He didn't save Liz from anything. The, he goes to talk to her and in the next scene after she blows up the hospital she's in, by the way. Right. We have no follow-up or consequence with that. They are all dead. <laughs> Burned Just alive the next scene, She's in this government facility with him. That's it. A hard cut. Whoopsie. Uh, yeah. That's pretty much it. So we don't... There's no, like... There, we aren't shown any reason that she would be attracted or into him. And vice versa, for that matter. But it's like, okay, so we need Hellboy to be jealous. Let's write these two in a pseudo-love angle. Yeah. Why does she like Myers? Because he's a milk-toast, pretty white boy? Exactly. Top yeah, of there's his class? Nothing, there's no... There's, we just got, I know I'm speaking all over, but we just got talking about how like a guy like Stephen King, all right, yeah. for as ridiculous as Pet Cemetery 1989 was, <laughs> he's at least made this career accepting who he is and that he doesn't go into subtext. He just relates a relatable story and ties it's it in with his times, life experience. Right, at, right. Times, yeah. at times, yeah, sure. Uh, when he's when he's got his you know fourth book of the year due. Exactly. Well, it, it but it's a formula that works. He's not a bad writer, no, obviously. You know, sometimes there's maybe. <laughs> hit or miss. There's there's not any depth of character to any of the main characters here. Who do we know the most about? Where's any kind of subtext written into this? I, I just don't understand because they should put the movie in Hellboy's POV because, it, I mean, think about it. Hellboy coming out of that hole, meeting all of the humans would be fascinating. Yeah. Of course. From, from a scared little Hellboy POV would be genius. And then let's hang out with Hellboy and not, right from the start. And you don't even, like the, his big decision, which you just said was given to Myers anyway, but his big conflict decision, where's the backstory to that? That he showed up at the hospital once before Liz burned it down. That he was creepily spying on Myers and Liz as they was going for an innocuous and innocent walk at night. That's it. That's his attachment to this woman that he's decided to open 
the portal to hell for, for because right. she was dead and he wanted her well, back. We have no good reasons yeah. for why that's happening. There's like, no substantiation. It's so like we need him to have uh, an emotional attachment to a figure, so we'll give him, we'll kill off his father figure, so that'll give him the motivation to come up. That's, yeah, that's supposed to be it. But then again, the father figure's role as mentor never, never explored at all. Yeah. We need the audience to see what the bad guy's motivation is, so we'll have him reveal to the father figure who he'll immediately kill, and Hellboy will be none the wiser about any of it, except we will. He's neutralized. He, you have cancer, <laughs> right? You're you're the father figure, so you have to empower this freshly out of the academy, milk toast white boy, top of his class, to be his mentor. It's just... What? So, and he even writes himself into plot holes, like I said. Like, Hellboy's supposed to be being overpowered, and Liz just turns on her flame all of a sudden because now she can control it because it's convenient to the plot. Right? It, look, it looks cool. I mean, that's, sure, great. that's one thing to say about it. And a lot of these, a lot of the Hellboy chase scenes with that uh, crazy uh, Sam Mule or whatever. Everything that cool. was everything that was reliant on, like, not, not tension, but reliant on Hellboy, like, figuring out, like, when he has to punch his way down... To get to Liz and Myers, that was awesome. Like, I love mm-hmm. seeing Hellboy's skills and strength on display. Yeah, but the problem with it is that it's just a given that Hellboy's heroic. And that's, a, exactly that's the problem. True. You should be exploring, you know, the, the, the a dilemma where either be a hero right. or just be happy and live your life. I mean, being a hero should have stakes in either direction. And you don't. It's just he's a given that he's a hero. And all he has to do is remember that he's a hero at the end. Right. Yeah. That, it's because, that simple. Because the milk toast white boy told him so. Pretty boy. I, Shut up. Yeah. Shut up, like, John Evans or Myers, whatever you are. You, there's not even, like, a basis for his conflict. Like I said, it's not explained. They don't go into the backstory of he and Liz. We don't know where they met. We don't know why he's attracted to her, vice versa. It's just like what to focus on. You have the comics. It's like... Right? You have the comics, and what they chose to focus on were all the wrong things It's like, yeah, they were like, they focused on issue 32 as opposed to telling us anything about... Where we kill films for an exposition dump, this had like nothing. Right. You know? It's just... And my God, the... The latter half, the act, late act two, act three stuff, the visuals are stunning, but by the time we got to them, I could not possibly give a shit less. I was just like, this has been going on for fucking ever. Because there's really no stakes. We just, we know that the hero's going to win. The stakes come in one scene. Right. The, the last scene where he has to make the decision and, and Myers talks thing, like, it. You could talk about epic stakes where he's got to you know, save the world. Right. You could say that basically, and you can describe that throughout the movie. But if he doesn't have personal stakes, and if it's just save the damsel right. in distress that yep. we don't know, taking we, it right out of my notes, yeah, it doesn't work. You're right. You're yeah, absolutely really? right. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's. There's nothing, and I, I feel like I'm beating a, a dead horse here sometimes because I talk about how there's never any stakes in these movies that I have an issue with, but there's nothing on the line here What's other that? than the one scene where he has to decide. You know, saving the world should be something that's probably built up. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think about it. It fits like the formula of a block, big blockbuster movie, right? They're trying to fit it to a Spider-Man. They're trying to fit it to all these things. But we should really dive into all of Hellboy's strengths and weaknesses, his flaws. You know, why did their relationship get on the rocks? Right. We don't know. No. And why? You know, what? What are her strengths and weaknesses? We get none of those. All like, we know is her. Okay, it's kind of a weakness that she bursts into flame every yeah. couple so, of months. So, like for lay people, instead of saying, "Oh, it's it makes sense," Hellboy did this instead of that because this happened earlier and he feels this way. It's like the the subtext is just Hellboy decides not to 
ruin the world because he know he's a superhero. That's the <laughs> because yeah because this guy that's the told line him to right because Myers reminded him he's a superhero yeah remember right. your childhood it's uh, remember where you're from I I have issues and if you go back and listen to our Shape of Water stuff I have had issues for a while with Guillermo del Toro I understand he is a very talented person and I understand he's a very beloved figure in Hollywood for monster movies especially yeah. and you could stop remaking the creature from the Black Lagoon at any time now we get it you're very good at it <laughs> like like. <laughs> Can you give me something story-wise? He does get progressively better. Yeah, in my opinion, no over the course of his career, this is this is an early film. I'm just, I'm surprised that this uh, script made it through production value. Or, you know, made it through production. You know, the way he wanted it, and there's really no other screenwriting credits. Am there. I crazy? I know I didn't remember Blade Two at the start, but Blade Two was more entertaining than this movie, wasn't it? Yeah, I think Blade Two is ground. At least you know what the movie's about. It's about Wesley Snipes kicking ass Has to kill the different type of vampires. And it, yeah, right. it's, <laughs> I forget the real hook, but that was in that movie caught me right from the beginning, and it was scary, which is something not to, you know. This movie is not scary. Like they're afraid to be scary. And Guillermo del Toro had no writing credit in Blade Two. I just looked it up either. So. Yeah, maybe right something there. there, you know? Look, I, I don't, and we don't like, we like being film appreciation, like we like being movie appreciation. That's why we try to be overly positive, especially in the non-spoiler section, because if you look at this, like, if you watch this movie as background noise or muted for two hours and would just stare at it, it's stunning, especially for 2004. It's really visually stunning. Mm -hmm. And I don't even mark it down that much. I'm much more plot invested than I am visual graphics invested, because for me, the visuals have always been something like, these guys are clearly doing something with far more technique than I could ever hope to right. criticize anyway. It's next so, level, and right. it does foreshadow the rest of his career. Right. And so, he'll get there to and get the Academy's attention. But plot-wise and motivation-wise and subtext characteristic-wise, this is the perfect, and this is what I texted you yesterday, this is the perfect superhero movie for like 1992, 95. Yeah. You know, this would be great. And this would be earth-shattering if it came out then. But for 2004, where we already were with Spider-Man and some of the X-Men, where we were heading next with the MCU in a couple years, God, this feels like this is a relic. And, and the audience basically told them yeah. that they thought of it. Because you have Spider-Man, which is a super charismatic hero. Say what you want about the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Yeah, right. Say what you want about the, the Batman movies. You have uh, you know a, a story that has its focus where it needs to be. It's focused on the hero. And you have you know great characters. And you have great stories. And it, this is not a great character. Uh, you have a character with all this potential, and then you give the story away to all the other side characters, and that's mark a bad amateur screenwriting in many ways. And every book that I read on screenwriting, and I, I'm a, a just a serial screenwriting yeah, book reader. You are, and it's a bad thing because instead of <laughs> writing screenplays, I read books about how to write screenplays, and then I come out off as a pompous ass when I talk about screenwriters. But bottom line is, every they all tell I just you, wish you knew yourself better. They yeah. all tell you what not to do, Mike. <laughs> they tell you not to give the movie away to all the side characters. Yeah, they could steal some scenes, but don't give all the critical decisions away to them. Or at least if you do. Do it like Quentin Tarantino did in Django Unchained and make it like an amazing story up to that point. <laughs> that, that, that's a point where I had a big problem with it in, you know, that movie. Yeah. However, there's a whole nother act. That's true, too. Yeah. You, you can write yourself out of it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you can, you know, Django has more to say on that. Uh, yeah. Again, we're not we shouldn't compare this to Silence of the Lambs. This is not should be compared to Django. This is again, to me, this is a superhero movie that 
instantly became a relic. Do you remember, because this was the first time I think I've seen Hellboy start to finish. I've seen it on like cable a couple times, but do you remember having seen these in theaters if Hellboy 2 for you was more enjoyable than Hellboy 1? Hellboy 2 is 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 better, I hope. That's all. So you, you can't really... Mike, we agreed on doing the Hellboy movies yeah. before the new Hellboy movie was going to come out, and I didn't remember either of them, so I was curious okay. to rewatch them, and now we're in this shit. Nah, I'm, I'm just, I was just curious. I have, I have no attachment to Hellboy 2 whatsoever. Never seen it. We're in the shit, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, David Harbour, it's not a high bar. <laughs> you can cross it. Perlman did a fine job. Pearl, uh, everything yeah. Hellboy in this movie is fun. Yeah. Agree. And let's just stay with him, agree. please. Yeah, agree. Oh, boy. Well, look, did we shit on another hero of yours? I'm sorry, but you could tell us why. So afraid. <laughs> the, 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 the Hellboy faithful are going to come after us now, great. If you want to meet at the you know swing set after recess, we could do it. You want to throw down, we could throw down. Terry, <laughs> they're talking about Big Red on a podcast. We finally got a podcast talking about Big Red. <laughs> Oh, uh, no, they hate it. Let's get them. <laughs> is this something near and dear to your heart? We do want to know. Tell us why we're wrong. Or tell us why you agree. You can reach out to us. Uh, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com, .com, and on Reddit. We are available everywhere. You hear podcasts. Tune in, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Michael. Tell all the Hellboy fans to not beat us up, but go ahead. Please don't beat us up, one. <laughs> Two, uh, I wanted so much more Ape Sapien, and yeah. uh, I guess I'm going to get it a couple years later. So I guess the, the moral of the story, be careful what be careful I wish for. You wish for. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks, come watch movies with us, and we will check you out next time. See ya.